you have your Bibles or your device or you're able to find Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 and I want to be able to read this to you. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed for they will be filled. Let's pray together. Father, I, I, I ask that you help me to be a preacher that's so plain that a child would understand me. And then Lord, I ask you for any word of knowledge that you give to me to speak to a person or their situation. If you prompt me with it, I wanna be obedient to speak to it. <clears throat> and then Lord, you look at all of us today in this room, but you see me differently. Uh, I'm your teacher, your preacher, and upon me is a greater judgment than anybody here can put on me. Uh, a strict judgment from you, and I accept my place in rightly dividing your word. So in the name of Jesus that I pray, his name that I preach. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you guys. Thanks for being here today. We're in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, the greatest sermon ever preached on earth. I've had the opportunity twice to be in this area where they believe this sermon actually occurred. And I want to set something for you, set the stage for you just a little bit. We're going to be talking about vertical relationship with God and then horizontal relationship with each other. So it's going to be arrows up and arrows out uh, today. And you're going to hear that several times when we talk about thirsting and we talk about uh, hungering after the righteousness of God. Jesus came preaching a promise of a kingdom. And we live in a world that's crazy and confused and chaotic. But in the midst of all that, he has called us to live a kingdom life in the middle of it. Uh, a kingdom life is following a king. It is the Lord Jesus that we follow. And he's going to express what that righteous life looks like today. And we're going to try to give you that picture uh, in a way, hopefully, that you'll be able to understand it. In this verse, in Matthew 5, 6, I want to begin with the word blessed. Uh, the word blessed here means happy. Uh, it means joy. There is profound joy in our life. And I, there's joy because I know him and I know his promises and I trust him. Uh, I, we're at a place in our life, I say this about our life for Julie and me, because I don't want you to think my life is any different than yours you'll get to thinking that you, you have all these things and the preacher and his family don't have anything that they go through. So I, I usually try to be transparent with you that I go through the same things and my family goes through the same things that yours does. Uh, we have conversations today and, and I tell people all the time, we're in a season of our life that we never asked for. We never planned it. We didn't draw it out. We didn't imagine it. It doesn't even match it. It doesn't even come close. People have conversations with uh, Julie and me, and they're being fine. Nobody's mad at each other, but they can just get awkward. Like, uh, you know, my son-in-law died when he was 31. Laura became a widow when she was 27, and they didn't have any children. And so Andrew now is married, and his wife has two daughters. So it can get awkward when you're talking about stepdaughters and stepsons. So I just take the word step out of it. And uh, I, have two, I have two granddaughters. Uh, if they bake cookies, they're the best cookies I've ever had in the world, you know, when I eat them. If they paint little tiles for coasters, I buy every one of them at their little yard sale, you know, so they're just granddaughters. But when people ask that, it can become an awkward question because they're like, do you and Julie have any 
grandchildren. And biologically, we don't. And it, but, but we do now, right? <laughs> we do now. So, and we embrace them as our own. That's not a problem. That's not a problem at all. But it becomes awkward because I'm trying to explain a life that I never asked for. And if I ask you to raise your hand out there, how many of you are living in a season of your life that you never asked for? I bet the majority of you all would raise your hands. So what do you do in that? You get mad at God because it didn't plan out the way you wanted it to? Or do you embrace him and do you trust him because his promises are true that he's gonna lead you through those seasons of your life. Even one of taking care of Julie's dad, who's 94 years young, still a part of our life we never asked for. People call us up, hey, can you all do such and such on this date? And me and Julie look at each other because right now I pastor a church, she's a nurse at a school, and then any other time outside of that, we're taking care of Papa. I, I can't, I can't, Go down the road like maybe you can with a date. You understand? I can either be frustrated with that or I can choose joy because I know God is doing a work in us. We'll get there in a minute uh, scripturally, but he's doing a work in us. We who live kingdom lives choose joy. We choose joy because of who he is and what he does. Look at Romans 14, 17, uh, just a picture of harmony here. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about our daily stuff like that. But it's righteousness, which we're going to get to in a moment and spend most of our time today on the word righteousness. Peace. And look, there's that word. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I know I stand on the promises of God. I live in the promises of God. I can choose joy. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, as they're building the wall, all kinds of things are going on. He said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, send portions to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve because your strength comes from rejoicing, which is the word joy. Our strength comes from the Lord. That's how we get through it, that, that our, our, our strength and our, the joy that he gives us is that he's doing something in our lives. We may not be able to see till later on. James wrote, count it all joy when you go through these trials and tribulations. We're all going to go through them. Why do you count it joy? Because he is producing something in you. It, your character, your integrity, building you up as someone who's going to stand with him and for him, okay? You need to be able to see that. We count it all joy. I can choose a lot of emotions, but I choose joy because I know he's at work. He is at work somehow in the midst of this. So blessed, blessed, back to Matthew 5, 6, blessed is the person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for they are going to be really living in my joy. Let's look at the two words, hunger and thirst. They're paired off together. One means starved and one means parched. Uh, they are painful states. I don't mean states like Kentucky, okay? But they're painful situations in your life. I've got to admit, I've, I've never been to the place of hunger that I didn't have food. 
uh, 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 mom and dad had a big garden. We had a farm. It, it, it was just, it was just all, now have I been hungry for the next meal? Yes. But have I ever been hungry that I didn't have anything to eat? I've, I've never been there in my life. But there are people who have. It's a painful, painful place to be, uh, to have hunger and thirst. It, it is it is giving you the signs that you need attention when your tongue starts giving you signals that you're thirsty means you're dehydrated and we know all the things physically that could happen to you with dehydration both hunger and thirst are crying out for sustenance i I need some help here they are warning signs so hunger and thirst are outer life descriptions of what's going on inside a seeking for us a human need of hunger and thirst is being described here that represents our spiritual needs it's not a question of do you get hungry or thirsty the the question is where do you go when you get hungry and thirsty physically you could be thirsty and go drink a coke but that's not going to help your thirst you need water we we even replace we'll just get a beverage Uh, that's thinking it's going to quench our thirst and it's not physically we need water spiritually it's the same thing you and I thirst spiritually every day just like you thirst physically and spiritually we'll end up drinking the wrong things beginning today and probably throughout this year this fall especially I'm really going to be uh, leading you challenging you <clears throat> to carve out a time every day to be in the Word of God. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I'm going to give you is a, uh, a Bible study, a daily devotion called Our Daily Bread. My parents have had it for years. Julie's parents have had it for years. We have it uh, connected to our app. We have it connected to our, our webpage. I even have the app, Our Daily Bread. And I love it. Uh, I, I love it. I, I know that I prep for sermons, but that can't be my Bible study. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can't just use getting ready for next Sunday as just my time in the Word. I need to feed myself spiritually. And how do I feed it? I feed it with the Word of God. David wrote that your words, Lord, are like honey to my lips. Uh, I need them. I, I need them in our life. So, we're going to be giving you things in the future about how to connect with our daily bread. It's got a Bible reading. It's got a devotion together. Uh, it's got a prayer that goes along with a devotion. It's got sometimes it has a link that you can hit and it describes the situation further with an article. It's got a little bit of footnote at the bottom where you can read about the footnotes about the passage that's going on. It's got all you need. We're talking about all total five, six minutes. But I'm really going to challenge you to be there every day. That's been my challenge as a pastor anyway. In our culture today, I think the greatest need the Lord has shown me as a preacher and a pastor is you have got to feed off of him daily. And it's not happening. I don't think it's happening. I think you have spiritual thirst, but I think you're running to other places to to be filled with that. And you've got to work out a system of being fed by his word daily. It's got to happen. And you've got to be able to carve it out. 
Uh, you've got to be able to work it out in a way, and we're going to be challenging you when it comes to that. So we, we thirst spiritually, but we often fill that with something else. And what I've used in the past is we've used the, the news feeds and social media opinions to feed that. If you're going to do that, you're going to be an angry, judgmental, critical person. I'm just going to tell you. All right? It doesn't feed your soul. And the Word of God has got to be able to feed that. So we hunger and we thirst. It's not a question if we do that. It's where do we go for that? It says in this passage, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let's talk about that for a moment. Righteousness belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. You can't order it. You can't go buy it. But it is something that was purchased for you. When you and I sin, and I think that's one of the other problems we have, we don't recognize what we do as sin. We, don't, we, don't, we just think, well, this is what the world does. So I, I don't see it as sin or really hurting anybody. Sin is a rebellion. It is a rebellion. We're all born into it. We're born into rebel, all of us. It's, it's basically, you, you tell me the rules, well, then I'm going to figure out how to break them, right? I'm going to figure out how to go around them. I'm going to figure out the shortcut. I, I'm not going to live that way. I'm in a rebellion of that. And sin hurts us. The reason sin is so detrimental to the heart of God is because of what it does to you. Now, listen, if you're here today and you're living a rebellious life and you know it, Let's just, let's just take the shades down and just say, I, you know, I'm living a rebellious life. Tell me how happy you are. I dare, I dare that conversation. I've never met anybody living a rebellion that's at peace with even themselves, let alone anybody else. The way our world is reacting today tells me they're not spending time with God because it's nothing but strife and turmoil. You with me? If you're with him and you're in his word, the peace of God is going to rule your heart. That's what it says in, in the New Testament. So sin is a rebellion. It is a rebellion. And he, he draws the line to sin because it hurts us. I mean, as a parent, I, I, we had unacceptable and acceptable behavior in our home. But the unacceptable behavior was not because I'm mean and cruel. It's because I loved my children and I gave them boundaries. And God draws the line in the sand not because he wants to just control you or he wants to bind you. He draws the line in the sand because he knows you stepping over that can hurt you. And not only will it hurt you, it will affect other people. Sin will go public. Just, just think of what you know in surrounding counties, even our own, of what's been exposed over the last few weeks. Sin will not stay private. Are you all listening to me? And the enemy will tell you that it'll just be between you and him. It will not. It goes public. And not only that, the Lord exposes those things. So he draws the line so that it doesn't hurt you and it doesn't hurt any other people. And he comes to rescue us from that rebellion. In uh, college, uh, believe it or not, I've shared it with you before, but I have a business background and I have an accounting background. 
And so righteousness really has a picture of accounting and just like your life is a ledger <clears throat> with just two columns or silos. Some of you work with silos. So in, in one column, I've got a debt in my account on my ledger. I've got a debt that I can't pay. I can't pay it. I can't work it off. I can't pay it off. And, and that is my rebellion. I can't do it. But Jesus comes and dies on the cross because sin brings death. He had to die. And he died for us to pay that debt. And so it cleared out the account. Well, you, you, don't, wanna, you don't want your ledger cleared out. You want it cleared out of debt, but you just don't want it empty. And so what does he do? He pulls out the debt that you owe and pays it. And then he replaces his righteousness there. And, and when you get a taste of his righteousness, which we're going to in just a moment, I'm going to show you that, uh, hopefully in a present day way. Uh, but when we get a taste of that, it's awesome to have that in, in your ledger, in your account. Uh, righteousness is basically just take most of the letters out of that. It's just the right way, doing the right thing, the kingdom thing. And a, a picture of righteousness is, is we build up walls. The picture is every time you and I sin in rebellion, we're building up a wall between me and God, you and God. And it becomes brick by brick that we build it. And the Lord comes and tears the wall down so that we're living in, in fellowship and relationship with God. He does the same thing with people. We build up walls and he tears them down. Righteousness means, again, I told you to remember this, I'm living how I need to live vertically with God. And righteousness means I'm also living the way I need to horizontally with people. Live at peace with people as much as possible in your life. Live that, that's a kingdom life, that's a righteous life. And so the, the picture that is given to us is just this picture of a right standing with him, being in harmony with him. Look at Philippians 2, 2, chapter 2, verse 2. It's a great chapter. Let's break it down slowly. Fulfill my, say the word, joy, bless, joy. How, how does this, what brings him joy? Thinking the same way he does, having the same love that he has, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal, focusing on one goal. He said, fulfill my joy in every bit of this. Matthew 6, it says, seek first the kingdom of God that we've been talking about today. And here's this word again, his righteousness. Remember he put that in us. It's, it's his. The only way you can get it is through him. It's, it's, it's the right way. It's the right standing with God that you have. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Prosperity preaching would tell you this is a way to get rich. Here's what I'm telling you. He promises to resource a kingdom life. He doesn't promise to resource a rebellious life. But he promises to resource a kingdom life that is there for us to be able to live. This harmony issue of righteousness gets to the point and it boils down to this. Am I going to go his way or am I going to go my way? I once did a funeral for a, a, a man had... 
he, he, was a, he, he just had all kinds of accolades to his life. And uh, I, I did the funeral for him. And I remember we went to the cemetery and uh, we did the cemetery ceremony. And obviously I'm not going to say a name. But before we finished this, the ceremony and the service at the gravesite, they played, he, 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 I did it my way. And I, I just like, I, just take a note. Don't, don't play I did it my way at your funeral, please, or at the cemetery. Don't, don't do that. That becomes the battle. His way or my way or the world's way becomes the battle back and forth. Listen to me. I want you to listen to my heart. We're thirsty and we're, we're spiritually thirsty and we're running to all the wrong places to fill it. And I, I'm going to just go back to basics with you guys. I know people want more, more, more. I get it. But you're, 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 you're going after more and you've not done the basics. The Lord said, be faithful in small things and then I'll put you in charge of greater things. And we want to miss the small things and go for the greater things. We want a shortcut around that. Guys, for the rest of my living days, I'm just going to work hard and trying to get you to spend time with him so that you'll know in that day what is his way. That's just the craving of my heart as a pastor. You being in his word, you'll be amazed if you do these devotions or find your own. You'll be amazed at how it will match exactly where you are in your life. It's an incredible mystery of just notching out 10 to 15 minutes a day to spend with him so I can stay focused on what is God's way and what is my way and what is the world's way so that I can make kingdom decisions about my life. You all there? Do y'all stare at people at this time of the day always like you're staring at me? Do you get it? I, I can tell our world's not spending time with him because of the way it's reacting. It just becomes, I, take the, I can take the cultural temperature and it's not at peace because it's not spending time with the Lord. And we've got to work hard to carve that out so that we know what righteous living absolutely looks like. And real quickly, I'm going to give you a picture from the, from the Ten Commandments on what righteous living is intended to look like. I'm not going to read everything here. There's 17 verses. I'm going to go through them. They're going to be on the screen. So you, you, can, you can plot them out, survey out the verses that are there. But I, I, I want to begin in verse 2. And it talks about how I led you out of Egypt. Uh, I, I brought you out of the land of Egypt and the place of slavery. Listen, if you're living in sin, that's your Egypt. That's your Egypt. You're, you're a slave to that. You're bound by that. And we need, just as these people needed to be reminded that God led them out of slavery in Egypt, God rescues us out of the slavery of sin. He does exactly the same thing. I played college baseball at Kansas University, and to be honest with you, I got tired of playing baseball. If you ever think there's, there's no such thing there was in my life. And uh, so I'd, I'd gone through a fall and a spring season and, and I, I, was, I was going to get out of baseball for a while. 
I, I transferred to Western Kentucky University and I, I stayed in Pierce Ford Tower, PFT, and I was on the seventh floor, room 717. I can remember my first day there in my dorm, they had the, the windows rotated and they had a valance at the top. And I'm, I'm right in the middle, right over the entrance. And I go to open up my window and the whole thing fell seven stories right down there in front of the, I'll never forget that. So need, needless to say, we had nice brisk night air coming in for a long time in our, in our, in our dorm room. And uh, I wanted to get away from home. I wanted to get away from baseball, but I fell in love with this girl named Julie Wynn. And we started dating and I, I was at Western and she was at Campbellsville. And uh, a guy on campus found out that I was away. And so he, he thought he liked Laura, uh, Julie. Uh, notice I'm saying he thought he liked Julie. And uh, so uh, I had to come back and had to meet him on a dark night and straighten things up a little bit, if you know what I'm saying. There wasn't a fight, uh, but uh, there was a confrontation. Let's just put it that way. And anyway, I came back. So I played baseball with the Western, came back, played baseball a little more at Campbellsville. But uh, while I was away at Western, uh, there was a place, and I, I don't know the campus anymore. I haven't been there for a long time. But you couldn't park around Pierce Ford Tower. It was hard to park around there and find, if you found a parking spot, you just left your car there, man, all week. So, but we, the, we had a parking lot in the back corner of the campus. We called it Egypt. It, it called it, any of y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, we're Egypt. And, and uh, so we were like, well, where'd you park? Well, I parked over, I parked over in Egypt, you know, and you had to walk like three days to get to the dorm, it felt like. That's where sin is with us. It's our Egypt. You, you and I need to remember, and that's what he's saying here, even in the Ten Commandments, remember that I pulled you out of sinful Egypt, of slavery Egypt. You need to remember that. Part of righteous living is to remember that you and I have been rescued. We have been rescued. We have been delivered. Verse 3 no other gods, don't make them up. No other gods before me, don't even make them up. Nothing is to replace me. Nothing is to take my place. It's all empty. Don't go there. Righteous living recognizes there is one true living God. And we stay focused on him. We've got to stay focused on him. Verses four and six it says, don't carve any image. Don't carve any idol out. They made them of stone and wood and laid them over with gold and silver. Some were life-size, some were huge. And they made them big to, to, to parallel that if, if my statue is big, then it also means that my God is big as well. How big is my God? And he says, don't worship or don't bow down to those. Don't, don't do that. We even sing a song today about, I'm not going to bow to idols. I remember a song that we used to do at, here at Hope Church. It's called, Give Us Clean Hearts. Just give you a portion of it. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts, 
let us not lift our soul to another. And we do. We thirst spiritually and we run somewhere else for a drink and we don't run to him. You and I have got to learn that the first place we go is we go to the Father. Uh, the, the, the picture of this, and I'll, give, I'll try to give you a modern day picture of this today of, of just creating idols. Uh, it, it can be a car. And you and I have seen it. People have a car and they park it. They'll take two parking spots and park it diagonally in a parking lot. You know what I'm saying? Because they don't want it, their door to be dinged, which makes me want to go ding their door, right? I don't do it. I didn't say I did it. People will, will worship houses. They'll worship lots of things. And nothing is to replace our God. We're not to put something in place of him. So I was talking to Logan. I said, Logan, I'm going to use this because I teach this to my son, Andrew. I'm going to teach it to Dustin. I'm teaching it to Logan Harvey that's coming on with us. I did it to Drew Causey. Anybody has been on staff, I've taught it to them here. Is this stage right here can become an idol. It can be an idol. It's a, it's, I've arrived. I've made it. And there's people who crave this. And I, I teach them all the time. Life doesn't happen on the stage. You can be anybody you want to on the stage. But life doesn't happen on the stage. It, it happens. My pastoring and my preaching absolutely takes place off of this stage. I've got to match what I say to you, but it's not really about you as much as it is as the covenant that I am with God. So this can be a modern day idol. In 37 years, can you imagine the people that I've had that I know it wasn't ministry, they craved the stage. And ask me if I blocked them. Thanks for the question, I did. Ask me if I made them happy or mad, mad. I, I would block them from that because I could sense that it was nothing but about being on the stage. It can be an idol of I've made it or I need the recognition. I just want to bring that up to you for just a moment. It's, it's a craving. We, we're enticed to follow things that shine. We're enticed to be able to do that. So don't create another, uh, don't create another uh, idol or an image. Don't replace him with anything else. Verses five and six. It's gonna talk about generational cursings and blessings. I wanna read this one to you for just a moment. Verse five, you must not bow down to them or worship them, meaning idols. For I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. I believe in generational curses. I believe it's taught right here. But don't go thinking, oh man, my sins are gonna go on to the next generation. It, it, it does if you hate him. I don't forget that last part of that verse. For those that hate me, how many of us, we're, we're just armchair psychologists, okay? We're armchair counselors. How many of you have seen people who rebelled against God and the generations that followed them followed exactly their rebellion against God? But here's the truth. He can break in that and break that generational curse. 
he can stop in and he can rescue that next generation. He can do that, but it's there. The sin, I told you, it goes public, right? It goes to the next generations until people allow the Lord to be able to rescue them. But I also believe in generational blessings. Uh, Go back, if you will, to verse 6. It says the generational blessings are here, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Look at that. See, righteous living not only remembers we're being brought out of slavery, we don't, we don't focus on anything else but the one true God. We don't create and start loving our cars and our houses more than we do God. And not only that, we know that righteous living is going to bless thousands of generations beyond us. It's, it's, a, it's a promise of God for that to occur. And then in verse 7, you don't take the Lord's name in vain. Some of you go, this just has to do with cussing. It's far more than that. It means, the word vain means empty. Don't, Don't ever use God's name with emptiness. Don't ever think that God's name means nothing. Because it means love and creation power and resurrection power. It means life. So don't, don't equate God's name with nothingness. How many times has the enemy told you when you know that you're thirsting spiritually and you need to go to the Father and his word for a good drink? And the enemy's going, you're wasting your time. He's not going to do anything. Some of your all frustration with God is... He's not going to do anything. And the power he has is creation power and it's resurrection power. And you got to approach him in such a way. When we do the pace prayer and we do the, on the E, it means I live in expectation. Your arms are out wide. I live every day in expectation that God is going to do a work. I don't ever think God's not doing nothing. And we take his name in vain when we put nothingness with the name of God. It means everything. So a righteous life knows that there's power in his name. We've even been singing that today. There's power in the name that the Lord has and we treat it in such a way so we don't see emptiness with that. Verses eight and 11, I'll not read it, but I wanna tell you Sabbath, and I probably, uh, it's about Sabbath, it's about taking a rest. I think that's one of the greatest sins of the church today is uh, we champion ourselves in multitasking. I did a series not too long ago, we did it on the Sabbath and uh, of just being able to rest or finding a day of rest, uh, of not only worship, I hope every day is a day of worship for you, but the picture is there's gotta be a day to rest. Some of us have debilitating diseases and debilitating symptoms in our life, mainly because we don't get enough rest. And he says, take a break. Work it within your schedule to take a break, but oh no, we multitask and we give out trophies for multitasking. 
How much can I handle? I, I see this and I come from a sports, very sports integrated life. And uh, my, my point in that is, I just see way too much pressure being put on kids. And physically and emotionally, they can't handle some of the pressure we're putting on them. I told Julie the other day, sometimes kids just need to play in a, a barn full of hay and eat mud, you know? Uh, I, there, there comes to be a time when we, we've, we, we don't even really plant rest within the lives of our own next generations. So a, a righteous life looks at the Sabbath and knows that they need a day of rest. The next verse, verse 12, is about honoring your parents. Um, Friday was the, the, the anniversary of the death of my, of my mom. Uh, August the 7th was the anniversary of Tom's death. August the 14th, Julie and I celebrated 41 years of marriage. And then uh, on top of that, uh, this last Friday was an anniversary of my mother's death 10 years ago. And I want you to know I still try to honor my mom and my dad. My dad's been uh, dead for 33 years. My dad's been dead longer than I've spent living with him. And I still try to honor my mom and dad. No, I don't think my parents are looking down from heaven. Their focus is on Jesus. It's not on me. But I honor, I still honor my mom and my dad. I want to give them a good name. Now, do I, do I replace them for, for the placement of God? No, God's first. But I still try to bring honor to my mom and my dad. But in this verse, also know that there is a, there is a, a, a challenge to parents. Make sure you give your kids something to honor. I find something more detrimental in raising children than when you as a parent live in rebellion, but you try to tell your children not to. Nothing is more confusing to a child. That this is the way I want you to live, but we don't reflect it ourselves. So when you're pointing this verse out to even your own kids, and it says, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother, but it also tells you as a mom and a dad to make sure you give your children something to be able to honor. We still honor Julie's mother who passed away in February and Papaw, who we now tend to in our life. So we, we, we honor them. I honor the Lord first, but I also want to honor my mom and my dad. Verse 13, don't kill people. <laughs> okay, is that a good enough paraphrase? Uh, the, the fact of do not murder is a picture of you have no sanctity or the value of life in you. And a righteous life sees value in life. Sees value in life. Verse 14, don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. We all know what that is. Uh, Jesus teaches that it's more than an act. The, the law here says it's an act, but it's more than that to Jesus. He says the fact that you've even thought about it. Uh, Jesus goes a little deeper in it into the gospels. Uh, the point in here is a righteous life honors is a faithful life. It's a faithful life. Verse 15, do not steal. Earn it. Work for it. Respect it. The, the fact that stealing occurs shows that there is a major breakdown of trust in our society. 
I can remember as a boy growing up in the 60s and the 70s, we never locked our door, not one time. A lot of times the screen door was the only door, the, the, the main door was never closed. I can remember going on vacation. We never locked our door going on vacation. Uh, went to bed at night, never locked our door, never thought about locking our door. Never thought about leaving my mini bike sitting out by the porch. No, no big deal, you know. Uh, but don't steal. Why? Because it's a breakdown of trust. Earn it. Work for it. Respect those who have what they have. But there, it's more than that. It's a society issue. There's a breakdown of trust. Verse 16, don't give false testimony about your neighbor. Don't hurt the reputation of others. Don't hurt them. Uh, I, as a pastor, I teach this to, to all of our staff. Uh, I, I, I get criticism. Don't be thinking out there that I don't get criticism. I get criticism all the time. And you, if you're going to lead, some of you in this building are coaches and you, you athletically, and some of you are leaders in the school system. Some of you are, are in managerial places even where you work. If you do any of those, you're going to get criticism. It's going to come. But here's what I tell them. Don't let criticism go to your heart. And don't let compliments go to your head. There's got to be a good balance of that. Don't let criticism go to your heart. Don't let, don't let compliments go to your head either way. So don't hurt the reputation of other people. Don't do that. Don't let that be who you are. Verse 17, don't covet or desire house, spouse of someone else, their servants. It talks about animals here, but I'll replace it. So guys, don't covet the, your neighbor's truck and don't covet their beamer, okay? I'll just put that in there. I don't, don't, I've dealt with people that covet their other people's lives. I've dealt with people in pastoring that covet other people's families. I've even had to deal with people who had an obsession with yards. And I mean, they would drive around to see what they needed to do, you know, to, and I understand you need to mow it, you need to tend to it, I get that. But I'm talking about the obsession with it. Don't, don't be satisfied with what you have. Here, here's a promise that I want to go back to Matthew 5, 6. I said all those 10 commandments, and remember, they were made to be in vertical relationship with Jesus, or with God, and horizontal relationship with everybody else. What went wrong with the 10 commandments was I would take them and use them against you. I would take them and, and say, this is the one that you are breaking. And they, I, I, what went wrong was they never used the Ten Commandments to look at themselves. And you're going, hey, preacher, you need to catch up with the times. You know that's the law. And we're not under the law anymore. But Scripture said Jesus became the fulfillment of the law. In other words, a righteous life has all of that. A righteous life remembers I was once in slavery and he rescued me. A, a righteous life remembers that I'm not to put anything in place of him, anything or anybody. I'm not to bow down and worship other idols. 
A, a righteous life reminds me that generations beyond me that I don't know will be blessed because of my faith in the Lord. Righteous living it doesn't take God's name and see it as being empty or nothingness. That there's power there. And when I mention his name, it bestows his love and his power. I, righteous living knows that I need a day of rest. All of us do. Just, just to catch up with everything that's going on. Righteous living honors our parents and also gives our children something to be able to honor. Righteous living sees the sanctity of the value of a person's life. Righteous living is faithfulness. It doesn't commit adultery. Righteous living doesn't steal. It sees what you have and glad you have it. But it's a, base, it's a society and community that's based on trust. Righteous living doesn't hurt the reputation of others. And righteous living doesn't desire houses or other spouses or servants or vehicles or lives or families or even yards. Righteous living is filled. Here's the promise. Do you see that lastly? Those who hunger and thirst for righteous are blessed. There's joy. And for they will be filled. The word filled here means you have fattened the cattle. And I'd, I'd rather have a fat cow than a skinny cow. It also is the same word here that is used when Andrew brings the little boy that has five loaves and two fish. And they feed the 5,000 or probably 10,000. It says they bring back 12 basketfuls after the Lord broke it and blessed it. And it says they, the people, bread and fish, just a little bit of it. Probably enough for us, just one of us, fed all those thousands. And he says they were filled. They were filled. Listen, I know you thirst physically. Just make sure you drink the right stuff, okay? And I know that you thirst spiritually. Make sure, make sure that you quench that thirst on the very person of God, from his word. And it'll lead to righteousness. Righteousness. And you will be filled. You will be filled. Let me pray over you. <clears throat> Father, I pray over our people today. I pray, Lord, the desire to live a kingdom life in a crazy, crazy world. Lord, I, I, I pray over them a desire to, to find time with you daily. We physically thirst daily. We spiritually thirst daily. And uh, Lord, the question is, where do we go to, for you to fill us up? I just pray over them a desire to scratch out time every day with you, Lord, to be filled with you. Uh, focus on you and be filled by you. I pray that over them. Lord, forgive us when we've looked upon your name and we just think there's nothing there. Gosh, just forgive us of that. If we think there's nothing in your name, then we've placed other things in place of you. 
And uh, Lord, just forgive us of that. Help us even to know today that there's power in your name. There's life in your name. There's creation in your name. There's resurrection in your name. Help us to know that. And Lord, just give us a thirst for righteous living that only comes in through you. I pray that over our people. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. We pray together that I have preached. Amen. Church, stand if you will. Counselors, would you find your spot in the altar if you will? The team's going to lead us. And the invitation is this. Whosoever will, for whatever reason today, you come.